0: I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Today's guests are brokers, a London market wholesale veteran and a rising star executive. John Sutton and Jonathan Tritton work together at Acreshaw London Wholesale, or ALW. The business does exactly what it says on the tin. It's fast-growing retail broker Acrashaw's London Wholesale operation. It's almost five years since ALW was formed, and for the incredibly acquisitive Aquashaw Group, it's a rarity, because it's a business that has so far done all of its growth organically. This is a really lively discussion, and one that I think shows the business and the market where it operates in a very positive light. ALW is finding ways of serving its huge and growing retail and wholesale network with product designed and built in London. It's doing this through a combination of old-school savvy and expertise – and a youthful nimbleness and technological awareness that is refreshing to see. What's more, as the market has hardened across the board, and already hard-to-place covers are becoming even harder to place, this duo are adamant that the London market is standing up and being counted, and is rediscovering much of its old creativity and entrepreneurial spirit. Listen on and hear for yourself. John Sutton speaks first, and Jonathan Tritton, who's sometimes referred to as JT, comes in a little later. Enjoy the podcast. John and Jonathan, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. AccraShore London Wholesale, tell us all about it. AccraShore is a massive group and growing. Where do you fit in with that wider AccraShore picture?
1: So I'll refer to AccraShore London Wholesale as ALW as we go forward. Otherwise, I think we'll bore everybody. We joined a group just as AccraShore was buying what was Beach. And as you know, Mark, Beach was always just a reinsurance broker. A very niche successful reinsurance broker but nothing in the wholesale space so as beach were bought by Aquashaw and needed a london wholesale broker for the Aquashaw business going forward we joined in 2018 march 2018 so we'll have been here five years this coming march and really the idea was that we would build a team from scratch which I'm pleased to say we've done or are doing it's a nice mix of seasoned traders and quite a lot of youth put into the mix on that so We're five years old. We're very grateful to the clients that moved with us when we hired people right at the beginning, before we started to get into the AccraShore network and find out what was there and what might come to London. And now we've got a nice mix of AccraShore and non-AccraShore third-party business. But the long-term aim for the overall AccraShore group, which as you say is big and getting bigger, is to provide products back through our AccraShore partners, primarily across the US. And what sort of scale are you at now? How many people? We're 40 people now, just over 40 people. We've got some offers out to grow that further. There's really, not to quote Greg Williams, but the limitless expression is we've really got as much as we want in the pipeline in terms of hiring people in different classes. We're mostly set for classes for now, I think, in terms of what we need for Acroshore, but we're always on the lookout for more people. So, is that your main objective
0: as a business? Is it to be the wholesale option for? Acroshaw and to be that manufacturer of London product that you can then distribute using this fantastic US retail network that Acroshaw has built for you? Or should we think of you as a more classic wholesale broker who will work with any retail broker from anywhere in the world?
1: Well, I want to cover all bases. so I'd like to say we're both, uh, and I think we are both currently. I see our book growing, continue to grow, but probably keeping an approximate split of 50-50 in terms of Revenue into us of third party clients. And those clients, some of them are retailers, some of them are third party wholesalers, some of them are MGAs directly. So it's a real mix of business on the third party. On the Acroshaw business, we've started to see larger opportunities. Acroshaw has been acquisitive, you know, initially from 2013 onwards, that huge growth to 2022 has been primarily SME retail brokers across the US. But now that's changed and we're now buying slightly bigger brokers, but also buying MGAs. So those MGAs give us a whole new world of opportunity to provide product and to place those MGA placements. So placing binders, that kind of thing? Yeah.
2: I'd add to that as well as I think that we've got quite a unique setup here that we've got our actual re-colleagues, all the analytics and actuaries that come with that, that we're very collegiate with them, fact business and the various other tools that we've got, which for a 40 person sort of wholesaler wouldn't necessarily have. And then obviously the huge retail network as well. Do you find that actual
0: name is a good calling card now, Obviously? I suppose it wasn't necessarily a name that we knew very well in London in the last five years, and of course it has snowballed so enormously in that period of time, come out of nowhere in some ways, but presumably now that's quite a calling card to have as you sit down with a London underwriter, and they'll know that there are potentially billions of new revenue sitting opposite the table.
1: Yes, I think it has become that. I think at the beginning, no one had heard of us. And that was by design, really. The Acroshaw model was to buy agencies and let them keep their own brand. So I think when you went to markets to actually try and find out how much revenue we had with each market, it was disparate because it was with different named agencies. Whereas now the Acroshaw name's been brought together. We rebranded from Beach to Acroshaw London Wholesale two years ago. And I think that's had an effect. So it's Acroshaw Re and Acroshaw London Wholesale based in London. That's definitely given us a higher profile. And of course, the group has, even in the last couple of years, has grown hugely since we rebranded. So we are greeted, and I would say, in a warmer fashion than perhaps we would have been five years ago with the Acroshaw name. We're in a really interesting market.
0: Obviously, the last piece to come into place of this big market change, perhaps that's really started four or five years ago. This last reel has now been reinsurance coming into line, perhaps with a lot of been happening on the direct side and on the retro side and on the ILS side, reinsurance finally came into line. Now that everything seems to be in place, this must be a good time for all of you because so many covers are being sort of cracked out and split out and things that would have been yep. included in composite structures are going to be, have to stand alone. Presumably you're rubbing your hands and think this is quite a Good market. Well, we never get too arrogant.
1: But it's a difficult
0: Overly market confident. as well, I presume, as well. Obviously,
1: it is a it's difficult hard market. hard
0: to find capacity, of course.
1: Yes, and I touched on it earlier. We've hired some very good seasoned, what I would call hard market brokers, which have done a good job for us, certainly, the last couple of years. And I think it has given us, yeah, the reinsurance market is giving us opportunity, particularly in the property sector and some of the harder-to-place primary casualty layers where they've been split out. And the coverage is, you know, we've done a lot of healthcare business. I have, personally, over the time. The sexual molestation cover is now being broken out. Obviously, cyber has been broken out. Some of the political violence coverages are breaking out because of treaties and because of other pressures. So, yeah, it does give us opportunities. We've touched on FAC in the past, and we've got a FAC team here in the group, and we work with them now and are going to work more with them to look at opportunities where those retentions are higher on the reinsert.
0: Yeah, with things like FAC, I suppose there are sort of semi-automatic FAC, isn't there? We used to call it Treaty FAC, I think, back in the day. Those kind of things, there must be those where there's sort of semi-facultative binder-type situations. And, but where do you see the biggest opportunities as, as a manufacturer of product for that retail arm? You look out over Lime Street, over Fenchurch Street, what do you see that you can say, right, you can really do something with that here? We can export this London USP to the far corners of the earth and yeah. which are the things that would be the star products that you can push out there.
1: Well, we've certainly had some success with cyber, pushing cyber back through not just the Acroshaw network, but to third party retailers and wholesalers. That's hugely unmined for the Acroshaw network. It's a very small percentage of the Acroshaw client base currently by cyber, but that's obviously changing. I think some of the political coverages, which, you know, the active shooter and other elements that have come into the news, we've got the teams that can deal with that business. I think outside of Acroshaw, We're more and more on the radar of the large wholesale brokers, and we've got good relationships with some of those. So we're looking to provide solutions for some of their larger risks. So it's it's a real mix. For example, on the cyber selling, that is mainly tiny policies going out there. So it's the mechanism and how can we best sell that? And Jonathan JT is very close to the AccraShore network, particularly, and in terms of how we distribute those products.
2: I'd say with that is that because we've got quite a unique retail network, as it's tending to focus more on the SME and probably more S than M, is that the market here sort of sees that as something which it hasn't necessarily penetrated, or if it has done, it's gone down quite a convoluted path. So giving some transparency into that and allow them to see the opportunity, that's a big part of us and using our data to explain that. And then giving the solutions to those mom-and-pop clients in the States that actually help them, and cyber being a good one, being a sort of real hot topic. What else is sort of hot on the product list? So we've got a growing transportation
0: team. Obviously, that's been a class that has been really challenged in the States, hasn't it?
1: Really challenged. We're acquiring in that space, both in the States, in retail agents and in MGA space, working closely with them to distribute products. And London has been very creative and supportive of us on that. Transportation's long been an area that the London reinsurance market particularly has supported in difficult times, has had a long relationship with a a number of those MGAs and mutual clients. And some of that business now resides within AccraSure in terms of ownership. So that I think is a particularly exciting space for us going forward. There are many lines now, and JT can touch on it again, in terms of the tech ability that we have in terms of the knowledge of the data and where the agents are and what they do and how they might be benefiting from product and the cross-selling of those products across agency partners in the US. So I don't think we're limited to any particular class except I think the London market where we need it to be creative is proving to be creative. So you certainly feel that even though the market's quite difficult at the
0: moment, that you've got London in your name and so you know you depend on the London market and that the London market is delivering for you when you're asking for products and for solutions when no one else can
2: deliver them. Is it doing its job of delivering those products?
1: Yeah. I I would
2: say it is. I've just finished as a mentor on the Lloyds Lab and you know that's a good example of the London market sort of going back to its roots and being innovative and solving problems and sort of being right at the forefront of things. And it's also about the distribution of that because you can have a great product, you can have a demand and a supply, but if you can't connect those dots through a multitude of different ways. It could be through online quote and buying systems. It could be more traditional. So we spend as much time working out how those two things are going to connect, but there's a willingness and an entrepreneurial spirit that feels like it's revived a little bit in in
0: recent years. Well, that's really good to hear because we so often hear of players bemoaning the London market, how it's not quite what it used to be, et cetera, and you know, now the barriers to entry are so much higher and so much higher regulated and and whatever, there's so much sort of treacle to to wade through before you can get anywhere, but it's good to hear that the spirit. Is alive and kicking, and it's been reawakened by this hardened market because there are better opportunities, one presumes. Time for an ad break. We'll get back to the podcast after this very brief message.
3: So much has changed in the last few years, not least in Bolton Associates' world of recruiting actuaries in insurance. There is more and more need for actuaries and cap modelers. Demand is outstripping supply. But this is not the first time we've seen this. Bolton Associates has operated in this market for over 20 years. We know what attracts candidates to roles, and what matters in this hybrid working world. We're having conversations with firms all needing actuaries, be they syndicates, MGAs, brokers, they need pricing actuaries, heads of capital, reserving specialists, plus the larger players looking at restructures are asking us to find group roles, such as CRO, chief actuary, and some CFOs. The actuarial skill set really does now reach all levels of the board. In 2022, several senior actuaries took the CEO role, with more to come in 2023, so watch this space. And this is where the Bolton Associates Network comes into play. We can build your actuarial function and also draw on our established network to find those actuaries who have skills not only with numbers, but with leadership, people and specific insurance knowledge. 2023 has many exciting events for Bolton Associates coming up, keeping the market linked up, engaged and hopefully having a bit of fun. We're good at what we do because we enjoy what we do. So if you want us to find your elusive actuary fresh new juniors, or hear which firms are looking after their staff, then do get in touch. We're on Lime Street, so we're pretty easy to find, unlike that reinsurance pricing actuary you're currently struggling to hire. Let's speak soon. Get in touch at bolton-associates.co.uk.
1: What's been really exciting and fun for us is some of the AccraShore partners who've had some difficult business. have found London a bit of a faraway place because they've had to access it through various different routes and historic relationships, to now be able to have some direct conversations with the London-based broker. And as you say, it's in our name. We're proud that it's in our name. We've had some nice wins with Acroshaw Partners where I think if we hadn't been in the group, they would never have put those risks to London. They've always been domestic place risks. Well, they might have ended up in London without really them knowing much about it. Yes, And certainly no direct relationship with the client. It would have come through various phases. So I think London, obviously, I've been in it for a while. I'm a huge fan of it. And it's generally when the chips are down and there is difficult stuff to be looked at, it comes up with solutions. They may not be cheap. They may not cover everything, but they're generally creative. And I think that's what we sell. And London does very well in selling.
0: So as you grow, do you have an intention to become a global wholesaler? We see you dropping that London. You know, as you open in Singapore and Miami and says where else is that in the business plan, or is it very much London?
1: Certainly, primarily London. We place business in global markets, but at the moment we're just in London. We have a Bermuda office for reinsurance only at the moment. That may be a possibility at some point if the group feels setting up in Bermuda. But we trade quite happily in Bermuda from London at the moment. As you know, there's lots of. London brokers do. So there's no immediate plans to expand that. We're 40 people, we'd like to be a lot bigger in London and get that piece right. But as the group grows internationally, which it is, as you know, outside of North America and London, who knows? Opportunities arise. I want to ask you, given your vantage point here,
0: a lot of big macro trends, the two that seem to be going hand in hand over the last four or five years, will have been this shift, often a cyclical shift out of the admitted market into the ENS market as the market hardens. And and was described to me once a US citizen described as the dump, the great dump that the admitted market brings in lots of business and then decides it doesn't want it anymore and dumps it back out into the ENS in a cyclical form. And also we've got this, they seem to be running together this huge trend towards these hybrid MGA groups that are sort of incubating but growing very, very fast, writing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of premium. MGA groups that are retaining a certain amount have a carrier and seem to be a conduit between reinsurers and some of that SME business. What's your view of these two trends? Do you think they're going together in some way? Are they cyclical or are they part of some big, permanent, secular change? Maybe we look at the MGA's one first. You know, what's your view of that whole phenomenon? Because I've spent a huge amount of the last two years talking to people who are either working for these have set one up. A lot of those people are reinsurance people, of course, and then seeing
1: the numbers being put on and huge amount of growth. What do you make of all this? It's a very good question. Uh, I'm not sure I've got all the answers, but I well, I think MGAs. You know, I've worked with MGAs for most of my career, having dabbled in the reinsurance side as well as the direct side. Of course, I think MGAs have become very sophisticated. I think they've filled a need when the nervousness about when the really hard market comes, what the larger carriers are going to do dropping coverage for clients. And some of those clients have therefore supported the MGA network. And behind that, you have all sorts of other ways to get there. You know, as you say, you have fronts, you've got reinsurance behind the fronts. Years ago, there were two or three fronts I think we'd have all named, and we'd probably know who those three are. There's now 15 to 20 fronts in the States, some taking risks, some not, but more taking risks now than they were cohabiting with paper. So it's a whole myriad of ways to solve those issues. The MGA space, and I sadly can go back long enough to remember when all MGAs were a no-no, whereas now I think it's seen as a very attractive way to get into a niche space, backing underwriters and paying for that. And to me, it's little different to writing a quota share on a reinsurance. You're backing someone else's expertise, and you're paying for that privilege. So, there are, I'm not sure whether that answers your question. I think just the other part of your question, I think, was about the ENS market. Yeah, there are some clients that'll no doubt come here for ten minutes, and the price will be right again for them domestically, and they'll leave. And there are others that'll come here really like what they see, even if it's not the cheapest option. And stay. Again, my background, quite largely healthcare. I would put long-term care, nursing homes, into the former space that will come and go. And the market will write them when it's an opportunity and probably won't when it isn't so attractive. And the hospital space, larger, more sophisticated, perhaps, buyers who do stay. So that's one market where you've got a bit of both, secular and cyclical. So I think it's a whole mix. And the other piece I'd add to that is a lot of the Lloyd's syndicates now where they, rather than perhaps reinsurance and and MGAs, are becoming specialists themselves and are backed by their colleagues in the consortium. So there are many pieces now in terms of how you would put a program together and satisfy a client.
2: And I'd say on the ENS side, and certainly I think that the, you just look at the stamping numbers on all the states and you see the, the business that's still flowing in there. I think as a DNO guy by background, I think that's been quite interesting because that hasn't mapped the rest of the market. And now we've seen, having been harder sooner, we've seen that sort of dropping quite markedly. So the, I don't know whether that's necessarily going to be the canary in the coal mine, but that's a market which is starting to go back. The more capacities that's coming in, the prices are coming down. Some might say they're now sort of stabilizing, but we've really seen that fall off. But I think certainly in the rest of the market, to echo John, and it's here to stay and there's still a lot of good opportunities. So there's still there.
0: some good secular growth. Obviously, we'll have this cyclical stuff that some of that will come and go, but you think there'll be still secular growth, partly it's just because the way that insurance is being distributed is, is changing and evolving. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, one of the theories was that was put to me in the last couple of years was that some of the reinsurers had lost access to a lot of that business. They used to have it through all their hundreds of different quota shares with much smaller insurers. And as those insurers suddenly became a top five, top 10, they didn't really need them anymore. And of course, those insurers were global groups, and they started to centralize their reinsurance buying. And get rid of the ninety seven different quota shares they used to have globally and centralize them into you know into their own sort of internal vehicles. And then the ringer will still access some of that business, but only in, in a sort of one on one, one huge placement, obviously which was a very good right. But they lost a lot of the ballast. They were getting more of the volatility and less of the, the kind of day to day kind of bread and butter business that would you know, nice business that would run at 97 and a half or ninety eight and ninety nine year in, year out, which they kind of miss. And this is them trying to get back at some of that business. Does that make any sense to you?
1: Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. I think over time, by reinsurers giving clients the backing initially when they're smaller entities and then growing to a place where they don't need them is a slightly difficult transition for some of those reinsurers and those clients. It feels like you're pushing back on those people that gave you legs. and It's just a natural evolution.
0: It's more entrepreneurial as well from the yeah. from reinsurers. They weren't used to having to do this kind of thing. But
2: Yeah. I'd say as well, going back to sort of the MGAs and the I think nimbleness and the specialisms and the nimbleness. And also I think ENS, you know, the, the non-admitted market, you know, you don't have to file rates, you don't have to file wordings. You can change things and are far more nimble and where you've got good distribution. People are realizing that there's real opportunity there.
0: Maybe to summarize that ENS, what you said on the ENS just before. It's right to say that say that boom time is probably over, but it's still pretty steady. And some of the rating, I presume, is in a very good place now. Yeah, certainly agree. What about cyber? You spend a lot of time working in the cyber market. So how's that feeling at the moment? It's been through a hell of a remediation in the last couple of years. Yeah. Things started to stabilize.
1: It feels like it to us. You know, We've invested quite heavily in the cyber, both direct and reinsurance. We obviously see it as a booming market or a booming product. I think it's stabilized, getting access to product now. The bar has been raised significantly. I still think it's probably undersold, as we said, touched on earlier. But I think since COVID, certainly the smaller companies are feeling the effects of that. And I think certainly some of our larger clients are finding the applications forms more testing than they would have been. They're obviously now specific classes rather than included in broader insurance product. But I get the feeling that the worst of the difficult times is subsiding. And people obviously view it as an opportunity in the, in the insurance world. The news on Beasley this week about the cap bond and, and many other markets that are continuing to grow in the space. It's going to bode well for,
0: obviously, there was a worry abroad that there might not be enough capacity at yeah. some point. If we're going to carry on growing at this rate, that, you know, we might not have the capacity that sort of a decent size, a large enterprise might want to buy uh, and that we'd hit the buffers on sort of. Reinsurance event limits and sort of worries about systemic risk, and this is obviously good news to people at the very highest ends of the capital markets. Seems to have got more comfortable with the modelling or with with the view of risk of what they're getting themselves into, and hopefully this bodes well.
1: Yeah, and as I say, the barriers to entry have changed hugely. But those that can get over those barriers or through those barriers are looked at in a completely different light than some of their fellow applicants would have been a few years ago. So cyber is at the moment in a good place and I think London's been a huge supporter of that class and hopefully will benefit. Going back to the SME side of cyber, we've worked really hard
2: along with the various markets to educate clients about the risks and we've found sort of certain sort of industries that have actually taken to it far more than we would have thought. But to really explain what those risks are because it's, it's quite a new peril for a lot of these clients has been a big focus. Yeah, because, of course, you know, you'd expect a risk manager of a large U.S. multinational
0: to be fully aware of all this and have bought sort of hundreds of millions of limit before, but then not necessarily a small, medium-sized enterprise out of a small town in a single state.
1: I think a big part of the SME buyer is the education about what they're getting. I mean, a lot was made, and quite rightly, about the response to an incident, and Beasley particularly were very fast out the block years ago with that. Others have different solutions on the response. But I think in terms of educating retail agents on how they sell cyber to their clients has changed hugely. And even within our own network, there's now a lot more awareness about why a client should buy cyber insurance.
0: The trend seems to have been, as we've had this shakeout, probably, you know, movement to quality to the sort of anyone who was just dabbling in cyber was shaken out of that market. And those that really had set up as cyber experts have doubled down and have really stood up at this time. But certainly amongst that, cohort of the leaders who've stood up, it seems to be that their business model has evolved to being very much a full service one. They've got all the technical people that when there is a response, they get all the forensics and the IT people in straight away and they do what they need to do, get involved and get straight into the client's networks. And obviously also doing prevention all the time as well. As they're underwriting, they're also Going to those networks and pointing out the vulnerabilities that need fixing to almost the surveying, the yeah. pre-loss kind of work. Presumably, as a broker, you've got to get involved in all of that because you, this is your client. And again, the way you yeah. have to broke that business has, has
2: changed. It's the sort of the, the holistic offering, really. And, and yeah, it's not yeah. just an insurance policy. It's everything from education at the front so they understand what they're getting and why they need it to then getting the policy, but then also helping them when they do have problems and mitigating that risk as well as things happen. Yes, yeah, so it's much more of a factory mutual model. Is that you come
0: in and show them where they need to put the sprinklers and, and yep. all this other stuff, and they've we've got to make an investment to get this done properly. Otherwise, it's not going to work.
1: A hundred percent, and it's in everybody's interest to do it that way.
0: I think. Presumably, with a client like that, presumably the retention levels must be excellent if you've done all that work with them. You know, they're, they're sort of you really are a partner, aren't you?
1: Yes. Getting the message over in the first place as to why they should be buying that and giving them examples of what can go wrong and, and demonstrating, as in risk management in any other club, whether it's medical malpractice or DNO, showing how to run the business well to avoid losses. It's, it sounds very basic, but sure, it was done that way with cyber, and it, it certainly is now.
0: There's a good value add for insurance, isn't it? So yeah, we, know, yeah. we know what the things can go wrong and, we, and yeah. we can point that out to people who might expect them to know, but they, they don't necessarily know until it does go wrong.
1: No, and it's funny that if you're used to being laughed at at cocktail parties for being in insurance, you can now talk about cyber. It makes it sound slightly interesting, or <laughs> <but> more interesting. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's a great example of, I think, many of the carriers that are based in London have been at the forefront of that holistic approach, as JT says.
0: Another class-specific question these last renewals we've had the war in ukraine we've had a very difficult treaty renewal where a lot of different covers have been forced to stand alone and not sort of sit protected in composite kind of structures how's that affected your lives and how involved are you in those markets with obviously the war political risk political violence how's it all stacking up
2: now that one one's passed us It's certainly been an interesting time. I think there's, with Ukraine, obviously it's still ongoing. So there's things that are falling through and London being a huge centre for terrorism, PV and the like, it's going to take some big hits. I think that they were challenging those renewals, as you mentioned, on the reinsurance side. And I think a lot of them got pulled out and standalone now. And so now as a couple of weeks after we're going to start to see that. I think you've got the classic terms and conditions shrinking and premiums being put under pressure. You've got a number of market facilities where certain things were delegated a bit, probably a little bit too much to leads. And so all that, which sounds quite pessimistic. However, I think that we've got a very solid market here and we've got people that are are committed to it. And and over time, it's been a profitable line for insurers.
0: So see an opportunity there to, to, you know, to get some of that capacity and, and help
1: distribute it in the way that you would expect? Yeah. Obviously, it's not going to be cheap, is it? No, it's not going to be cheap and it's a complicated cover and the world is in a difficult place. But I think we certainly at AccraShore London Wholesale are committed to it and the market is committed to it. So I, I think London is paying quite a fair share of losses, but it doesn't show any sign of leaving the class.
2: The sort of the malicious attack, active assailant part. I mean, unfortunately, we hear weekly, and that's just what comes over here. And you think about in the States with the various sort of shootings that go on, and unfortunately, it's a fact of life, but it's an area where London does right and has provided a lot of people with coverage, and it's an area that the PV market is looking to expand on. So that's certainly something that we've been selling more of and having more demand for.
0: Well, good luck with all of that, and obviously the hard work is going to be to marshal some of that capacity. You can need all of your technical expertise to do that. Get all the actuaries and everyone on your side. When I go to Acrashore's website these days, one of the messages that comes out at me is that Across certainly, probably more than any other broker that I've seen, wants to sell itself as a technology company. And it's certainly the words technology appear quite prominently. Perhaps that's something to do with insure tech, but how much of a technology company are you? You, you? you hinted at this before, that do you have a kind of culture where if you think you can facilitate or you can streamline some process where, you know, there was, there was a manual process and you can automate it in some way or at least make it easier and more efficient? Is that the sort of culture you've got here? We should think of you as a technological type company rather than just
2: a broker? we're in a very fortunate situation. So for example, we've been buying a huge number of retail brokers and, and there's very few mandates when they come in that they have to do. We buy them because they're great businesses with fantastic margins, but they do have to share all their data, which everyone has access to. So they know everyone has access to. And what we found with that, and it's great risk level data and it means that we can go in there and understand rather than going right i want to sell some cyber to the network rather than going right which one of the 850 or so offices do we go and talk to we can see who does it who does it with who who doesn't do it what sort of industries they've got so there's a core Acroshore technological
0: platform that when you're acquired and you become part of the actual group, you get, presumably, integrated onto that pretty
2: fast, and that's probably top priority, is it? Yeah, exactly. And but you and can keep your brand name, but you, you can still, to- yeah. yeah. And that's where we can suddenly sort of see, right, the relationships that we've got with the markets. And when we've been educating the markets here about acroshaw rather than Back in the old days, where it's the biggest broker no one's ever heard of, and we're sort of trying to educate them and explain to them is having that data is key. I think then having the data and knowing who to go and talk to. it's a great fish finder, but then actually going talking to the people and going, "What's the story behind the data?" But also on the technology side, we're doing more and more in terms of the distribution. So our typical mix of business is more SME, which lends itself more to online distribution. It doesn't fit everything, but that's something which, again, gives the ability to get into this huge retail network that underwriters are particularly interested in. So, yeah, that sort of side of the tech has been a real sort of value add. and We feel that we're sort of out front in it.
0: So you're sort of the kids in the big sweet shop and you can go around.
1: Yeah, a little bit. And and now, you know, JT has done an awful lot of, meetings with markets over the last three or four years. And every single market that looks at that database is impressed and comments that they haven't seen anything quite like that. Because I think the retail distribution network is different to what other brokers they may see. And it's been very useful for us. It doesn't work every time. Sometimes the products don't sell. Sometimes they do. But it gives us a chance to target what products we need and where we go for
2: Yeah. The hardest bit, using your sweet shop analogy, is not sort of gouging a load of sweets and and getting that sort of sugar rush. It's almost sort of standing back and going, right, let's triage some of this and these opportunities, because you can get sort of slightly lost when you're a part of an organization the size that we are. Yeah. I suppose you've got to be
0: thinking about marketing all the time. You've got to market internally because you're so big. Presumably, you've got to tell that story and a way of actually letting a small broker somewhere, know that you exist. What's
1: exciting about it is that every acquisition that's been made was a company that ran itself in its own right. So there's a huge entrepreneurial spirit. So when you go to them, by and large, with a new thought or a new product or something that might just enhance their sales abilities, you're welcomed. And and that's different to some other places. Because I think even if everybody was called Acroshaw or whether they're not, the entrepreneurial spirit is still there. So that's fun for us.
2: It surprises people as well. I think people look at Acreshore and they see 500 different brands of all these retailers that have retained their brand names and immediately think that we're very sort of disjointed and everyone in their own little P&Ls. And, but actually, it's, it's almost, yes, people do specialize and they keep their brand names, but actually it's very, very collaborative behind the scenes, which again, I think is sort of quite unique.
0: That's really interesting. Of course, the one thing everyone knows actual for is being the most acquisitive broker of the last five years, which is saying something because it's been a very acquisitive period (laughs) for brokers in general. Is M&A then part of your toolkit? Because obviously you've got an M&A team that presumably is quite good at buying brokers and knowing what to offer, how to structure deals and how to get capital to pay for them. We've seen a huge amount of M&A in the wholesale space in London, but there's probably still more to be done. There always seems to be more to be done. Yeah. Would that ever be part of your toolkit? You know, you've done an organic job so far, but is it ever in the back of your mind that, you know, you've got the team back in the home office that could buy almost anything?
1: We do. They're not easy to please. so uh, um, <laughs> You have to hit the right rates of yeah. return. I think we're really enjoying growing it organically. I think I'm right in saying we were the first organic growth entity that Aquashore actually had outside of the m and I think, London Wholesale piece, which started fresh. And we're enjoying that. I mean, not to say that if something became available or people wanted to talk to us, we wouldn't have the conversation. But knowing that market, I think probably what we're trying to grow suits it organically for us. And you know, as I said earlier, there's no end to that. We could keep growing as long as it makes sense by either hiring seasoned individuals or or more of our youngsters. And we've done very well on the youngsters front. We've got a great graduate scheme here. And a school leaver scheme and those people have integrated incredibly well and of course then you get the culture that you want which we enjoy and i would say this wouldn't i but i think it's a great culture of collegiality and as jt touched on earlier working with the reinsurance guys and the analytics it's a nice blend and we have made a couple of very small acquisitions of books of business that other brokers have wanted to part with for whatever reason but we haven't gone beyond that
0: so you've been very diplomatic and not going to rule anything out but at the same time doesn't sound like it's I'm immediately a on your ambition. You've got people, a hit list of five to buy by Christmas.
1: I'm not a diplomat. So <laughs> if, I, if it's come over that way, that's very refreshing. We are very proud of the culture here. The, the, the culture that already existed at Beach, to be fair, is one that we want to keep. So it's, it's difficult when you buy companies to make sure you maintain the same culture. Doesn't mean the people you might buy aren't good at their business, but I just want to make sure that the cultural fit. So, but I wouldn't rule it out.
2: I think as well as then actually this permeates all of Acroshaw is sort of the referrals that actually a lot of the acquisitions over in the States, it's sort of 70, 80% of those acquisitions that are made are referrals from existing Acreshore partners, and we've seen exactly the same with our team in terms of a number of people yeah. that have worked together. And I think the other side of it is, as well, is that we've got an Acreshore US wholesale platform, which is now recently starting to sort of come together. And we're not part of that, but we're very closely aligned with that. So, and we've seen a number of Acreshore partners that have been bought that had relationships with people in London, and then some of them have ended up moving over to us, which has been great. So, yeah, but I think we're certainly and to echo what. John said, and he's done a great job of building the culture from the top. And I think we offer a quite a unique home within the London sort of ecosystem that's a little bit different given the way we're set up and parent company and, and all of our third-party business that we've got from the big U.S. wholesalers and the like.
0: So it's all about just looking after those people and
1: they'll look after you. If you keep growing them, they'll grow you. Yeah, that's a challenge, obviously, with good young people. Don't tell them that. Don't put this out, broadcast it. Anyway. <laughs> No, we're aware of that. You know, we get great comments from the market about our team, and similarly, we're on the lookout for other great people in other people's teams. And, and, and oh, we'll definitely put that bit out. They put that bit out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shout that <laughs> out. Don't cut that out, Mark. And you know, continue the grad scheme. And we, our HR gang, have done a great job in unearthing some great young people. So we'll do more of that. I think that's the preference. Well, John and Jonathan, I've come to the end of my list of questions,
0: and nothing else has occurred to me unless you've got some final parting shots. I'd really like to thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And yes, it does sound like it's quite fun working here. Good. We've got a hell of a market to work in 2023. And it sounds like London's performing. that can only be good for both of you. So good luck with everything and come and check in on progress at some point in the future.
1: Love to. Thank you, Mark, very much. Appreciate yes. it. Thank you very much, Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode.
0: If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme these really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective, so get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.